Hey gang, James here, CorbettReport.com. It's December of 2023, and today I have a little special treat for you. This is another edition of my Red Pill series, uh, specifically a radio conversation that I recently had on the Breakfast with Paul Brennan program on Reality Check Radio at realitycheck.radio. If you haven't checked them out, you might want to do so. And specifically, this is a, uh, a new independent radio, online radio station that is making some headway in New Zealand. And so I had an interesting conversation, and I wanted to share it with you guys. So Brock has done up a visualization for the video watchers out there, and I have the audio of the conversation. I think it's an important conversation, and that's why I'm putting it in the Red Pill series. For those of you who don't know, I have a series of interviews that I've done in the past several years that I've included in the Red Pill section of my Best Of page. And if you go through those, these are conversations that I think are great introductions to this material and or review material for those who are familiar with it already, because they tend to go deep into some very important core subject matter and in a way that I hope, I I trust, <laughs> is helpful and informative. Um, so I have created this little section on my best of page. By the way, if you don't know about the Corbett Report best of page, corbettreport.com slash best of, all one word, will take you there. And you can get as a smattering of some of the best material from the Corbett Report archives as a way of your uh, finding your way through the vast thousands of hours of archives now that exist at CorbettReport.com. And there is a section there for Red Pill series, and you'll find some of these conversations that, as I say, I think are some of the best, tightest encapsulations of what we talk about. And in this program today, you're going to hear everything from anarchism and voluntarism to discussions about eugenics and technocracy to the depopulation agenda and the the real solution to all of this. I think it's a great power-packed conversation, and I hope you will spread it around to the four winds. That's why I'm releasing it. So this is my James Corbett Red Pills New Zealand edition of the Red Pill series. I hope you enjoy. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. James Corbett is an award-winning investigative journalist. He's lectured on geopolitics, delivered presentations on open-source journalism, he started the Corbett Report website in 2007 as an outlet for independent critical analysis of politics, society, history, and economics. Since then, he's written, recorded, and edited thousands of hours of audio and video media for the website, including a podcast and several regular online video series. The Corbett Report is an independent, listener-supported alternative news source. It operates on the principle of open-source intelligence and provides podcasts, interviews, articles, and videos about breaking news and important issues from 9-11 truth and false flag terror to the big brother police state, eugenics, geopolitics, the central banking fraud, and more. Just what we're interested in. Funny that. So, James Corbett, welcome to Reality Check Radio. Great to have you. Thank you very much for having me on. And you're beaming in from Japan? That's correct, yeah. Interesting place. It is. Uh, it's always interesting. It's uh, certainly been interesting for the last few years. And it's interesting from my, my perspective because I keep an eye on the international news feeds. So it's interesting to see sort of the way the global agenda is developing in various parts of the globe. And I have a, uh, a bird's eye view of or a, a ringside seat, as it were, to the things happening here in the Asia Pacific. Plenty of things I want to ask you about. I want to get on to COP28. 
um, and um, and everything that comes out of that climate health. But um, since you talked about that bird's eye view, you will be aware that um, recently in our country we've had a change of government and we've gone supposedly more conservative. It's early days. It's a coalition government because we have a mixed member proportional representation system. So they're getting their feet and knees under the desk right now. How is that perceived like by someone like you or folks uh, further afield from us looking in? Well, I can only give you my own perspective on this. And my perspective comes from the position of uh, voluntarism, which is a flavor of anarchism. I do not believe in governments. I do not believe in government authority over me, myself as a sovereign individual human being. I did not cast any vote for any politician to have any say over myself and my life. And I, I do just fine for myself. So I look at the once every few year sides sideshow selection circus as the fundamental clown show that it is, and that it will change absolutely nothing whatsoever of significance about the way that you are threatened, controlled, cajoled, and otherwise uh, 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 stewarded over by essentially the tax cattle herders who see you as nothing more more than dinner on the table. So you sit out elections. Absolutely, yes. Uh, I I not only don't believe that, I mean, essentially, it's the child driver's seat um, uh, for the political uh, spectacle that is presented to us, which is nothing more than the uh, Plato's cave wall, essentially, the shadows dancing on it. And we we think those shadows have real meaning and substance. But hey, never look behind you to see what is actually puppeteering those shadows. Having said that, not only do I think it it, it completely and totally useless and will change absolutely nothing about your fundamental conditions in life, I think it's immoral to try to essentially vote in some group of people that you think will be able to use the iron fist of government, which is a monopoly uh, on state violence, which itself is inherently immoral, to try to get more of what you want. And then in a few years, when your team gets voted out, oh my God, now the other team has those powers, which I implicitly gave to uh, to whatever would-be authority claims to be ruling over me in the f- phony rigged election- selections anyway. It's ridiculous. And people need to wake up and become adults instead of acting like political children. I think um, people are waking up to something. It's interesting what you say because, uh, and we'll get on to the other stuff in a moment, but uh, I'm just uh, sort of thinking about what you're saying uh, and alternative because people, they, they need to feel secure that there is some system that keeps order and, you know, that, that there is a system that operates, I guess, in the end that keeps them safe and in a relative at a relative standard of living that they used to. But when we had major demonstrations and we had an occupation of our parliament um, a year and a half ago, a village was created there. And by watching the live streams, I think a lot of people realized that without any central command or control, that the, the organization of those people into a functioning I don't know. Yeah, village at this stage, but I guess you can scale that as big as as you can imagine. Actually, came together very quickly and was operated. And I've talked to people who are involved very successfully from all the angles of personal security and you know making sure that the the sewage is taken care of and all those things that make living tolerable. It seemed to be quite effortless. Do you think that comes naturally in the end, anyway? 
I do, and I speak from a position of uh, philosophical knowledge on the subject. If people want to find out about this, the magic words to search for are spontaneous order, which uh, if you search that on my site, for example, you'll find the historical references to that and, uh, and uh, Hayek and other people who have written about this over over time. But essentially, what it boils down to is the most incredible trick that the would-be rulers of society have played on the average people is to make people believe that we really need them. We need the oligarch parasite class to basically be sucking off of our energy and, and our income and our juices and everything that makes us uh, so productive and successful in life. And they have to sit there and manage us and direct us and tell us what to do. It is a lie. Um, and one way that people can get their heads around this is to start to realize that 99.9% .9 of everything in our daily life is governed by anarchistic order. Um, there's no government agency telling you who to marry. There's no government agency telling you what job to do. There's no government agency in charge of directing and managing the English language. But somehow, amazingly, miraculously, we managed to speak and communicate, even though there is no one directing and managing and, and governing and putting threatening to put us in jail if we don't speak in the right way. Well, anyway, those are some examples that people can right. use to start to get their head around this concept. And of course, everyone has all the objections of, well, yes, but we need law and order and we need justice and things. Uh, the, the, the basic bottom line answer is, if people want it, if people desire it, they can create it and they can create systems that will work to uh, to provide that without some sort of government monopoly force of power that that claims some sort of claim over an entire geographical area just because well I don't know somewhere in the mists of time some god gave this family the the rulership of this nation or whatever the, the claim may be yeah the interesting thing uh, there is that um in an effort to get dialogue with the government that was mandating workers and and asking them or forcing them to give up their bodily autonomy, all those things, they the the, the government or the establishment side wouldn't talk because there was no leader. There had to be a leader. You couldn't talk to people there. You know, you know, it's a good point. Leader, uh, so of course, what's the old sci-fi cliche? Take me to your leader, right? Well, yeah. what if there was no leader? And if you uh, want to explore that idea, there was an excellent short story um, written uh, several decades ago called And Then There Was None. And, and if you look that up on my site, you can find uh, an online reading of that and also my exploration of that in podcast form. But essentially, it's the sort of the sci-fi um, what if, if you went to a planet and there really was no leader. <laughs> and it's it's actually quite comical uh, the way so that Take me to out. your leader. Sorry, the, there isn't one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Basically. Okay. What do we do now? Oh, okay. <laughs> we, we didn't think of that one. All right. Um, when you have uh, been watching a bit of coverage of COP28, the latest get together here in Dubai. Um, King Charles, you know, with that lovely accent, telling us that, um, well, all these things. I'm watching the um, the uh, head of um, the UAE there nodding his head in agreement and, um, you know, <laughs> off of the distance, the, the towers are still burning, The you know, the, the gas coming out of the fields and Emirates is flying 130 uh, A380s around the world every day, not to mention the 300 triple seven. So um, they're kind of not really doing what they're talking about. When you see those events and, and hear what the speakers are saying, uh, what are you thinking? I personally am thinking that there are 
There, there are humorous signs in all of this, one of which that's come out in the news in recent days is, of course, the U.N. Um, climate summit president um, who's stewarding over this, uh, Sultan Ahmed al-Jaber, um, apparently recently came out to essentially say that uh, there's there's no way to essentially eliminate fossil fuels, as is, seems to be the game plan, unless right. you want to take the world back into caves. And, oh my God, he said the quiet part out loud. Yeah, so I'm amazed to hear John Kerry that. and others yeah. scrambling around trying to correct it. <laughs> oh, he didn't mean to say that. What he meant to say is... So there are some humorous things that come out of these conferences. And of course, this the spectacle of all of these billionaires descending in their private jets to come lecture the the rabble about how to live their lives and what and you can't eat meat anymore oh no or you can't live your life the way that you deem fit no we we must tell you how to do so um it is it would be funny i suppose if it wasn't so serious and unfortunately these people really do take it seriously i don't think they take the uh the uh, the fairy tale of anthropogenic global warming uh, that seriously uh, as evidenced by their blatant unbelievable climate hypocrisy but it's only unbelievable if you think they really do believe in this fairy tale and i say that advisedly again because i've done lots of work uh specifically on the scientific merits or demerits mm. of that theory and hypothesis and what's behind it and the unfalsifiable woo-woo pseudoscience that is the global warming scare which is essentially plain on mankind's deep-seated, truly, really deep-seated um, uh, iconic archetypes of uh, of the way that the world functions through the weather gods and we must placate and sacrifice to the weather gods. It is the same old thing that has been used to steward society for thousands of years. They're just giving it a modern inflection. And again, if people want more scientific um, debate about that. They, they can go and look, just type global warming or climate change into my search bar and you'll find lots of things I've done about what is the average mean global temperature and how is that calculated, not measured, calculated, and what data sets are used for that and how, what are the problems with those data sets, et cetera, et cetera. But at this point, if you don't, if you don't at least question the unquestionable scientific consensus, which, by the way, is the same unquestionable scientific consensus that told you it was great to lock yourself in your home, wear masks all day and uh, and take what however your 58th booster and call that a sign of health. And if you dare question that, my oh, we're coming down with the force of law against you. Uh, it's the exact same scientific consensus. Trust the science that we've seen over the past few years. So I don't know why anyone wouldn't be questioning it at this point. However, at the end, the end result of this is the question, okay, so why? Why would all of these people be involved in this grand deception? The answer, of course, is quite simple. It is power. It is control. Um, there is, of course, monetary aspects to various things and the trillion dollar boondoggle swindle that will be this attempted changeover to the green economy, which is not going to work in the long run and is going to cost a lot of money and make cer certain um, climate billionaires. But in the end, it's not about the money. It is about the power. It is about the control. And we are starting to see that with regards to the types of restrictions and regulations that are coming into place now to try to prevent people from living their life. And I think probably no one is on that front line any more than the farmers, agricultural workers, the world over, who are now starting to see feel the teeth of these restrictions biting down on them. Why do you think uh, agriculture has been targeted? I guess you, you can imagine, you know, there, there are um, animals eating, you know, grass and they're farting into the into the atmosphere and um, so on and so forth. But uh, 
in the end, it's a great source of food. It's the way history has evolved in, in terms of how we do fill our food over tens of thousands of years. What, what do they hate about agriculture in the end? I mean, do they not like the thought of people eating good food? Is it as simple as that? Well, that is certainly an aspect to it. I say, I would say, frame it this way. Um, Henry Kissinger is purported to allegedly have said, although there is absolutely no proof he actually did say, but at any rate, it's a good quote. Control control oil and you control nations. Control food and you control the people. You can imagine Henry Kissinger saying something like that. The recently departed Henry Kissinger, as it were. Yeah. Um, but at any rate, regardless of whether he actually said it or not, there is a ring of truth to that. Yes, oil, obviously an incredibly important um, co uh, commodity to monopolize or oligopolize in order to control uh, human history. And another incredibly important thing, in fact, maybe even more important, is food. But how could you possibly oligopolize the food supply? Well, that's already been accomplished to a large degree by the big uh, seed cartels that have managed to essentially um, take large swaths of the food supply and put it in the hands of a few corporations, generally not for the benefit and interests of public and public health. As is evidenced, if by nothing else, then, hey, why is it that people seem to be getting fatter and more obese and more out of shape every single year, year after year after year. What What's going on? Science and health and all of this is improving in so many different ways, right? But we're all getting fatter and sicker every single year, eating the crap that's shoved into the uh, the the industrial food system as it's come to to be well what could be what could be even better than this industrial farming system that's uh, that creates these giant corporate conglomerates that control vast swaths of the food supply well how about replacing food itself with bio lab engineered gunk um b being pushed by farmer bill gates who by the way is the largest farm owner in the united states now <laughs> and is also pushing all of these synthetic meats uh, lab produced nonsense that uh, they're trying to shove down people's throats. Meanwhile, you have Klaus Schwab and, and seemingly every media entity on the planet all telling us to eat the bugs and telling us every single week how bugs will be so much more, a better source of protein than the, the, that, that meat that you've become accustomed to eating, etc., mm -hmm. etc. Et it is part of making us sick and thus dependent or supposedly dependent on the the big pharma supplied um, medications and other things that will treat us for the diseases that are caused by our fundamental malnutrition. But also it is a, fundamentally, again, it comes back to power and control. And uh, f there is a reason why, for example, Thomas Jefferson in the American context said that his vision of America relied on the yeoman farmer. It was because the farmers are the people that represent that the, the, the fundamental independence of a nation yeah. is dependent on their ability to feed themselves. So, so you, first break, of all. you break and, that. Uh, so when that comes under attack, then you know they are going after independence itself. Yeah. Um, the climate um, part of this seems to be, um, well, it's a blank check for them at the moment because it, it seems to me that many people, you know, uh, well meaning people have bought into the the message the propaganda um they respect so-called experts and it's now i'm sure you know at the point where you know you try and have a debate about this um you know it can it can get really tense though it's pretty hard to get anyone to point out the sea level rise it's imperceptible if it's anything and and you going on about temperature etc but so climate's been weaponized can you see that you know you know hitting the wall at some 
stage because people do want evidence, don't they? They want if you're going to say that the sea level is going to rise a meter in an X amount of time, well, you know, within part of that time, you expect to see a bit of that happening, and and it's not there. So at some point, the the game's up, isn't it? Uh, one would certainly think so. Um, but again, at what level and in what way? Um, for example, I just saw a recent, I believe it was a Nature Nature Psychology article. I, I stand to be corrected on that. But um, examining 12 different methods, or sorry, six different methods for inoculating people against climate misinformation as researched across 12 different countries. And they found startlingly that all of these inoculation methods that they have against climate misinformation, like uh, telling people to trust the science and blah, 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 whatever uh, uh, other stratagems they were, they were talking about, it turns out they're not effective. There's absolutely no proof that any of these things actually convince people to go along with the, the mainstream narrative on this. And at even according to their measurements, fully one third of the global population is not buying the anthropogenic global warming story. So yes, I think there is a large amount of pushback and probably much, much more than we ever hear about in the controlled corporate media that doesn't want you to know about the, uh, the, the, uh, the significant amount of pushback that's happening to this agenda. The real question is, does it matter? As long as they can convince enough people that, well, most people go along with this and there's nothing you can do anyway, then eh, they can just continue on with their institutional momentum. It's until, unless and until we start a true, real grassroots movement, not just of, oh, you know, we're kind of we're kind of on the fence about this. Maybe we shouldn't be doing this. No, we need to start getting our individual countries to withdraw from the United Nations system in general and to stop supporting this entire institutional framework towards global government, which is truly the impetus of this agenda. We're talking about planning and control, and climate is just a convenient tool um, that they're using for that. And for people who want more information on that, I would suggest that they start finding out what the conference of the parties that we're hearing about is. Of course, this is the conference of the parties, i.e. signatories, to the UNFCCC, the United Framework Convention on Climate Change, which came along around the time it may have slightly preceded the Rio Earth Summit back in 1992. The Rio Earth Summit, of course, being put together and spearheaded by Morris Strong, this crusading international environmentalist who cares about Mother Earth and who was also an oil patch millionaire who made his fortune working for the Rockefellers in Canada and starting uh, the Petro Canada and other such things. What's the story here? Why? Oh, don't ask details. Details, shmeetails. We've got to save Mother Earth by getting you to stop eating meat and getting you to stop driving a car and getting you to stop um, buying new things, etc., etc. This is starting to sound more and more like neo-feudalism. And again, I think it's probably the agriculture workers and the farmers who probably understand this better than most of the population right now, because as we have seen in the past year or two, we're starting to see the Dutch farmers, Canadian farmers, farmers around the world are really starting to rise up. Sri Lanka, they ran their president out of the country because yeah. of the uh, the restrictions that were starting to cause the collapse of that country's economy. I, I don't think many of the other countries are that far behind. I don't think we can take too many more shocks until this ludicrous cutting ourselves, cutting off our own noses uh, with all these nitrogen restrictions and other such things that are coming into view. Uh, it won't take much of that until the wheels completely fall off of this economy. There seems to have been a sort of a promotion of a self-loathing sort of attitude projected back on 
people like the human race is a some kind of pathogen on you know um as you get a pathogen on a body we are on on the earth and and overpopulation is is uh is part of that um and now there's a conflation with health um i'm seeing that uh, out of this there's uh, talk of you know uh, global warming uh, <laughs> causing more cardiac events and of course everyone's worried about that i mean i've had one myself so i know so those are hot button issues for people um their their health and their safety and of course we are seeing at the same time um um mortality rates higher than usual and that can easily be you know directed to climate so it sounds like it's 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 becoming a dirtier fight is the feel to me you know I think you're exactly right. It does escalate the further we go into this agenda. And I think you're, you're very right to hit on the, the Malthusian overpopulation, self-loathing. This is fundamentally an anti-human ideology that sees humans as the enemy. And I, I can cite specific chapter and verse on that. You can go back to the first global revolution published by the Club of Rome back in 1991. Who's the Club of Rome, you might ask? And that's a good question. And I have more on that in my, my archives if people are interested. Uh, but they published a book called The First Global Revolution back in 1991, which specifically said that in searching for some sort of crisis around which we can unite humanity, um, we hit upon global warming as a good a good way to fit the bill because, specifically because, as they say in their own words, it makes humanity the enemy of man. These are human-caused problems. So we're going to have to attack humanity, essentially, to get at it. They don't say attack humanity, but that is exactly what they are saying in that passage, in, in, in what they're implying in that passage. And I think people should be aware of this because um, fundamentally, I think most people, if they truly understood this agenda and where it was heading, would not be on board with it. But you're exactly right. Now they're trying to bring health into it. And uh, all of the pieces of this sort of global governmental monstrosity are starting to come together under, for example, One Health. You're going to start hearing that term more and we, more we in are the future. Already, the United yeah, Nations. We're aware of that one. Yeah, the United Nations is trying to to bring that in and 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 make that a part of global um, discussions on these topics right now, as part of, for example, the World Health Organization pandemic agreement that they're trying to to shove through the back door essentially in uh, next May at the next edition of the World Health Assembly, which is specifically including wording about the One Health approach and the idea is it's not uh, we're interested in global public health but not just human health because human health is dependent on the environment and agriculture and all of these things are related so essentially it's you know what we need to control and manage everything on the planet all natural resources the entire environment everything that's in that environment all animal species and of course you in order to make sure everyone is healthy and who gets to define healthy well again that's that's really the question i've heard people say it's like they the royal they are, are trying to play god you know it's you mentioned power yeah there's power i get that and I, there's power well money's part of that but being able to tell people what to do and boss them around endlessly is power. But when you're starting to want to own and control, you know, the complexity of nature itself, uh, I mean, that's kind of going all the way. 
You're exactly right about that. Really, I guess the question is, what is the fundamental ideology here? You're right. Because I often say, yes, there is money to this, but it's not for the people at the very top of the power pyramid. It's not fundamentally about money. No, money is points on the scoreboard. The game is for control, for power. But then there's there's the underlying question. Well, why? Again, what do they get out of power and control in and of itself? What is the real underlying ideology here? And I... I, I always go back to the, the concept of eugenics, because uh, when you look at the, the development of the pseudoscience of eugenics in the late 19th century, you see essentially the transition from the that silly pre-enlightenment nonsense of divine right to rule or, you know, the God emperor or that kind of thing. That No, that's silly. Of course, there was no God that appointed this family to rule over you and your, your family. No, no, no. No, what it is is eugenics. Oh, that's right. There are certain genes. Actually, they didn't even have the vocabulary for that when they developed this pseudoscience. They called it protoplasm and, and didn't quite understand how it worked. But anyway, there's there's something in, in, the, in the stock of these good families that makes them better than other families. And thus, well, they, they should be breeding more. They should, they should be stewarding over the planet. And the, the bad sort should, should just go away. And maybe we'll help them with that, which yeah, we, of course we'll is dysgenics. <laughs> um, but, um, but how did they decide? What is the good stock and what is the bad stock? Who gets to decide that? Well, of course. Oh, well, us gentlemen, British scientists and our, our type and millionaires and, and, and monopolists and what have you, people who have made it in life. Well, they're clearly the good stock and you know, criminals and poor people and all of, you know, the rest of humanity are clearly the bad stock. And that, I think, is what this fundamentally boils down to. And we've seen various iterations of that fundamental eugenicist mindset play out. For example, in the 20th century, I really do think that the development the development of the environmental movement, not insofar as it truly is concerned about the environment, but insofar as it is a tool for control and power over others, is an expression of that same eugenicist ideology. You can connect the dots. Literally, the same eugenicist uh, people and families that were involved in the American Eugenic Society, the British Eugenicist Society, ended up populating the World Wildlife Federation and other uh, organizations like this. And the Population Council was started by John D. Rockefeller III, the Rockefeller of course, f- helping to fund into existence the eugenics movement in America. They transitioned that over to population. The Population Council offices were literally the same offices as the old American Eugenics Society. They just changed the name on the door. And now it's, oh, there's too many people over population. What can we do? Oh, well, we have some ideas for you. So that became the driving ideology, the, the guise for that ideology in the 20th century. And I think in the 21st century, it's transitioning over to something called technology technocracy, which in the minds of the general public is the idea that there's a technocratic um, engineers, scientists, statisticians who will basically plan society. But that's not really ultimately what technocracy means. What technocracy is, is again, another excuse for the oligopolists and um, the oligarchs to uh, essentially steward over humanity because they deserve to move forward into this brave new fourth industrial revolution, great reset and People like you and me and, you know, the riffraff at the bottom of the power pyramid, they can go and die is essentially the message that we're receiving. Um, It's interesting because I'm thinking, as you're saying that, mRNA. Hmm. Um, As I understand it, I'm not the brightest spark around, but that that is a... um, uh, that is some kind of code, right? And um, Yes, uh, you know what? Exactly. In fact, Moderna... um, 
specifically in their marketing material back in 2017, 2018, when they still had never actually produced any vaccine, quote unquote, and had never brought anything to market. They they were um, selling their idea as the the software of life was the yeah. way they were talking about what they're doing. Yeah, we're going to start reprogramming the software of life. And y- suddenly you get Dr. Bill Gates, who, of course, is not a doctor, coming along and um, stewarding over this this complete reset of everything that we think of with regards to health. And what was he involved in a few decades ago? Oh, that's right. Monopolizing the software world. Well, now taking the human genome and trying to monopolize that? Question mark. Oh, crazy conspiracy theorists, I tell you. Yeah, it's like nature's not good enough. Mm. Um, and uh, I mean, we've, we're having a debate here at the moment on GMO to um, relax the research um, constraints around that. And um, it's been a hot topic here for quite a while, but uh, our new political parties, two of them involved in this new government, are really keen on doing that. There's been some attempts at that in the... Um, with uh, sheep and 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 cattle, and they have been horrible outcomes, <laughs> you know, like Frankenstein sort of stuff. Yet that's just ignored. They still think they can do better than nature. This is why I wonder how, you know, how far does it go? Who are you trying to be in the end? Um, some some sort of some sort of god. Um, are we? Over, can we ever be overpopulated? Really. Seems to me that this is a big planet. There's plenty of resources. It kind of makes room for more and more people. Standard of living for many of you has gone up. Is that even a thing? Yeah, that's an excellent question. In fact, yes, I agree. The entire idea of a carrying capacity of the Earth, let alone the idea that we are anywhere near such a carrying capacity, is fundamentally itself a wrong a wrong turn in history that uh, has consigned millions of people to uh, to. Uh, rack and ruin and worry over uh, a false crisis. And uh, the reference on that I'm going to give is Julian Simon, who wrote a book called The Ultimate Resource, in which he revealed, yes, we have lots of resources. And in fact, when you look at resources, they become more abundant over time, which seems completely, totally contrary to common sense. What do you mean? We're out here, we're using all these resources. But he makes the point that no, the ultimate resource is the space between your ears, is the human brain and capacity for understanding, for applying understanding, for learning new things, for applying those new ideas to new inventions, to getting more use out of things that, well, previously there was no use for them. Oil, back when it was first you know, bubbling up out of these springs and geysers, and it was just seen as a pollutant. What's the point of this? And then, oh, well, we found a way to use that for productive human activity. And you can look at so many different resources from that perspective and see that actually things become more abundant. We get more use out of them as we go forward, as long as humans are allowed to thrive. And for every you know, million people that are born, there's that one in a million genius who will invent that thing that will expand the the food supply, etc., um, by ways that are incalculable. Unless, of course, you take the opposite side of this, that we're on this fixed and shrinking pie and everything's getting worse all the time and we need to start culling the human population and thus culling that one in a million genius who will never have the chance to be born because these mad tyrants who are drunk on their own power and truly believe, I think, that they are going to become some sort of techno-god of this transhumanist future are willing to sacrifice those, the, the natural, the, 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 the greatest resource that we know of, uh, the human brain, the intellect capacity on the, the, the altar of their idea of, uh, of how we move forward. 
it's so sad to hear young people i can say that now young people um you know in talking about this you know you'll hear someone be interviewed or, or be asked you know do you plan on having children and quite often you'll hear no i don't think that's a very responsible or ethical thing to do now because that adds to the strain on the planet and what sort of life are they going to have and and it makes i feel so sad when i hear that because it's one of the most incredible things you can ever do in your life that you've been talked out of and that again seems seems it has a sinister sort of dark edge to it you know um anyway just say it is absolutely heartbreaking it's 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 infuriating in some aspects especially when people think they're being cool or edgy by making yeah. that oh humans are a cancer on the earth type of analogy as if that hasn't been drummed into them by decades and but they're decades not volunteering of... to do something about it not i mean we have green politicians banging on about this all the time but they're not volunteering to help out <laughs> indeed well i you know what i don't even want that i just want people to wake up to the fact that they have been programmed to believe that humans are a cancer on the earth that we are in fact not that we in fact are changing the planet yes and sometimes yes i i mean look uh, sometimes people would accuse me of saying oh there's nothing wrong and everything no of course of course i'm not saying that everything is perfect and humans can continue exactly as they are in every respect but i am saying that the the answer to this is not some sort of mass culling it's not the end of the human species you feel that's going uh, on at the moment sorry is there a mass it's a hard question to 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 ask a is mess? there is there a mass culling oh happening uh, Yes, I mean, there's, there's a lot I think, of mortality I think so. around. I think it is taking a number of different forms, one of which, just one that we could point to, is the demonstrable 50% drop in sperm count that has happened in the Western world, at least in the yeah. past uh, half century. And uh, this is, I mean, it's such, a, it, it's an undeniable reality. It is a scientifically proven fact that is so incredible that it's never even addressed generally speaking um, when we talk about environmental crises etc of course it's all about carbon dioxide it has nothing to do with the phthalates and all of these chemical monstrosities that are being released out into the environment that are literally as alex jones infamously quipped turn in the frogs gay ha, 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 to be what true. A crazy conspiracy well actually yes there really are they really are turning hermaphroditic at any rate yeah well and yeah. there there is ser serious questions about the chemical cocktail that is being pumped out into the environment and how that is affecting us and the, could that be related to plummeting sperm rates well it might have something to do with it anyway i think there is there is an attack on the human species from many different vectors right now and uh certainly uh, it's it's strange to me that the environmental movement is 100 percent and solely focused on the question of carbon dioxide and not on gmos and not on these chemicals that are being pumped into the environment and not all of these other things that we could point to as potential genuine species threatening um events and 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 causes that are happening right now no 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 all you should think about all you should care about is there's too many people making too much carbon dioxide um i want to read you this this was what the uh, who published just ahead of cop 28 and i'll read a bit of it this is dr tedros abnaham gabriasis hope i got that right the health of humans and our planet are inextricably linked, and after years of promises, rapid action needed urgently to protect both. Only climate policies driven by health outcomes will result in action needed to save lives, prevent disease, and build healthier, fairer societies. It sounds good, 
but I don't know what any of that means. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. What he is doing is he is writing a blank check for the UN to start monopolizing the world's, well, to continue monopolizing the world's resources. And uh, it should be apparent by now, but in case it isn't, I at the very least want people to realize that all of these seemingly disparate random events are at any rate no, even if they are just self-generating and, and, and have nothing to do with any sort of manipulation, are being used, at any rate, for a specific agenda. And the climate agenda is now merging with the health agenda, the biosecurity agenda, in this way that, oh, it's all related, climate and health, and it's all one thing. And what is the answer to this? Of course, it's the UNFCC with their Conference of the Parties and the World Health Organization's new pandemic agreement, which, by the way, if you take a look at the latest draft that was released on October 31st, look at Article 21 in that agreement, and guess what? We're going to create a conference of the parties, of course, because whatever they agree, whatever they rubber stamp at their World Health Assembly next May, is if that conference of the parties is created, it will be like the UNFCCC, and every single year there'll be this big gaggle of global, global misleaders descending on some part of the world to then lecture about what we can and cannot be doing for the next year in order to meet our, our quotas and requirements. And in the UNFCCC case, as has been written about extensively in the, in the last few weeks, it's eating meat. You guys are eating too much meat. We're going to have to change that habit. And who knows, you know, conference of the parties as they develop in the World Health Organization will eventually, you know, if you don't have your 57th booster, you're, you know, you're, you're probably not, not going to get your social credit score yeah, up exactly. high enough to get your U, uh, UBI. Uh, who knows what craziness they have co cooking up, but it is essentially this, these are, this is the mechanism of global government that's forming right under our nose. And most people won't even know it's happening, let alone see it for what it is. So the, um, at, at, at some point you, you, you cross a threshold where you think you've got local sort of national government, sovereign mm -hmm. government, but actually you don't. They're mm -hmm. just um, kind of players in the- In case anyone missed the offices. past few years- yeah, every single government around the world just decided on their own, just taking it onto their own consideration to just to implement the exact same lockdown and mask yeah. and and vaccination policies, just just spontaneously, just just by happenstance, they all agreed. I mean, the science. How could you question that? Um, we've uh, put a pause. This new government's put a pause, only a pause, on the um, international health regulations engaging in that process. Um, until a national interest test is run on the whole thing. Now, we're pretty aware of what all that means, and they're trying to compress the time frame to opt out because you automatically opt in. That seems to be the way that they do things. Do you think we can hold that one back? It's a possibility. I, I don't want to poo-poo anything before it happens. As yeah. I say, I am highly skeptical of the political process for solving any of this, for solving the problems that have been created at the political level. But at the very least, something that I often note is that political misleaders love to get out in front of a parade and pretend that they're leading it. If only from their own self-interest of, hey, I need to, I need to get the numbers up for the next selection. Um, they will, if there is a genuine, real grassroots movement, then they'll love to take credit for it and say, yeah, that's us. Hey, we're doing that thing that you like. And who knows what else they're doing that you don't like. But anyway, don't think about that. So I, I think there is a possibility, but only if the people make this a true, real agenda item that really needs to be solved and make it known that we will not tolerate this 
this global government coming into place, this anti-human agenda. We need to- Unless we stand up to it, uh, the politicians aren't going to do it for us. Let's put it that way. You'll know about this from what you do. Informing people is not easy because- People are going about their everyday lives, and for most people, you know, the sport and the movies and the Netflix and is and their job is about all they can sort of kind of fit in. You need to dig deeper if you're not uh, having this reported to you through the mainstream broadcast media outlets. Let's say they get tired of, well, let's say legacy, don't call the mainstream anymore. So it, it's a numbers game in the end, and the depressing thing here is we debate this, and I suspect the same for other countries, is is you very quickly realize how little people know. And if you try and raise it, that sounds crazy. Who the hell are you? Because they've already bought into the farmer, as James Rogusky says, the farmer business model complex. Mm-hmm. It makes sense for them. People get a certain, um, I don't know, um, sense of security by going off to the doctor and getting their pills and they, they think, you know, everything's going to be okay. It's really hard to push back against that. That's why I asked you to think we can get there because yeah, unless, unless there's, we're, we're getting to the numbers. It's wow. You know? Yeah. Well, you're right. I am intimately familiar with these questions and these issues because it's what I've been doing for 16 yeah. years now in the corporate report. Go. But I do need to, from time to time to st- stand back and take a look at the bigger perspective. And I could say that the difference in general public awareness of even the existence of these issues, let alone the importance of them, between 2007 when I started the corporate report and 2023 is vast. There has been a lot of learning that That's has good. been taking place amongst the general public over that decade and a half, not necessarily an un- unalloyed good. Sometimes I think people have been learning the wrong lessons in the wrong way. But at any rate, I think there is a general greater understanding of these types of issues um, now, simply because it's almost impossible to deny it at this point. Uh, at a certain point, the conspiracy reality started to take take over the conspiracy theory pejorative in a way that was undeniable to the point where you got the humorous situation in 2020 when you had the fact checkers telling you that actually there's no such the great reset isn't a real thing <laughs> the world economic forum has a page up talking yeah, about the in great your reset and holding conferences so <laughs> you can't deny it at a certain point and i think the public is becoming more aware i think more people are more aware now than they were before is it enough is it too little too late that obviously is the big question and one that will only be decided um, by all of us and what we do with this knowledge. Great chat. I want to um, sort of wind up by asking you your thoughts on the death of Henry Kissinger. He, you know, long life. What was he eating? Do we know? What was his diet? Because whatever it was. Good question. Adrenochrome? I don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah. but at any rate, yes, Henry Kissinger, for people who do not know about Henry Kissinger and his absolutely ignoble career and the war crimes and other things that he was involved in, I, I recently flashed back to a 2009 podcast that I had on Meet Henry Kissinger, talking about his life and career and legacy, um, even at that time. And it's remarkable to think that, yeah, I created that podcast in 2009. He still, at that point, had another 14 years left yeah, in him. Incredible. And yeah. in those 14 years, you better believe he was still jetting off to the Bilderberg Conference every year and other such activities. He was a a very committed person, which, again, I think for most people should raise at least the question, as we talked about earlier.
earlier. Yeah, there's money, sure, and there's power and control, but really, what motivates someone up to the age of 100 to be so passionately committed to this construction of, as he called it many, many times, the, the New World Order? Why? What was it in? What was in it for him and his family? His Inheritors? What? Well, really, what motivates someone like that? I think it does come back down to that God complex issue, um, that this is about more than simply money or power in any straightforward sense. Can we think of who might be a kind of an interchangeable part for someone like him that, that sort of carries it on? Is it a Bill Gates? Yeah, yes, I, that might. I mean, the, the problem is, I, I think that there isn't one or two. I think there's probably a thousand people who would love to f jump into that spot, that vacated seat of power at the table um, of international um, uh, influence. And uh, you could look, for example, um, Kissinger's protege, uh, David Rothkopf, in 2000. Eight wrote a book called Superclass in which he bragged there was about 6,000 people who represent this sort of international clique that can enact policies and ideas across national borders. And they're essentially this superclass. And the only problem is, well, there might not be enough women represented in this superclass and things like this. We're working on that. Don't worry, LGBTQ. guys. We'll take care of you. Um, so unfortunately, uh, there's no shortage of would-be Kissingers out there. Okay, it's been great um, having a conversation with you. I've really enjoyed it, and I think our audience um, is going to get a lot out of that. And uh, um, I want to thank you for coming uh, on uh, Reality Check Radio, James, and I hope we can talk some more in the future as, as things come up. And it'll be great to have you know a, a sounding board albeit removed for things that are happening here to see you know kind of what you make of them. So sure, I'm happy and, to do that. Thanks for having me on.